as we begin a new church year, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. You're listening to Wonder Lake Bible Church, building mature followers of Jesus Christ. Find us online at wlbiblechurch.org. Now, here's Pastor Dan Cox with today's message. You know, the scriptures have much to say about how we are to treat one another. And one very good study is to look at all of those one another commandments in scripture. Well, folks, I have saved you all of the time and trouble of looking all those things up and have a good summary for you here today of those teachings for you right here. And as I read some of these off to you, I want you to think about this for a minute. If we can master, if we can master these commands, just imagine what kind of a church we can be. This is exciting. Just imagine what kind of a church can be. Would you like to hear them? Would you like to hear these things? All right. Here are some of these one another commandments in Scripture. Uh, here it is. Uh, grumble and complain about one another. There we are. Uh, fight with one another. Reject one another. This one is powerful here, folks. Bite, devour, and consume one another. Is that good one there? Hold grudges against one another. Refuse to forgive one another. Regard yourself as more important than one another. Judge and condemn one another. Do not serve one another. Lie to one another. Discourage one another. Don't pray for one another. Do not teach or correct one another. And most of all, consider how to stir one another up to hatred and evil deeds. Wow, can you imagine what our church could be like if we did those? Wait a minute. Wait, I'm so, you know what? I re, I've been reading from the wrong translation. I, I see that's the problem here. Oh, I see, yeah, that, that was all from the revised satanic version of AD 100 right there. So no, that's, that's, I think, let's, let's, let me try this again and get the, the actually correct translation here of the scriptures here. Uh, these actual biblical one another commands here. But you know that these one another commandments that appear over 100 times in the New Testament, over 100 times in the New Testament. And the major themes of these commandments have to do with unity, with love, and humility. Boy, those things go a long way toward a healthy body life, don't they? Unity, love, and humility. About a third of them deal with unity. About a third of them deal with love about 15% with humility, and then the remaining 20% just over a variety of topics. And here are some of the samples. This is not from the Revised Satanic Version here. This is from the ESV, the English Standard Version here. But here are some of them here. Uh, Be at peace with one another. Don't grumble among one another. Accept one another. Don't, and this is powerful, this one here. Don't bite devour and consume one another. Isn't that a powerful picture of that, right? Be gentle and patient with one another. Bear with and forgive one another. Love one another. Serve one another. Be devoted to one another. Give preference to one another. Regard one another as more important than yourselves. 
Don't judge one another. Speak truth to one another. Encourage one another. Pray for one another. Teach and admonish one another. And finally then, consider, think about how to stir up one another to love and good works. I wonder, what would our church be like if we were all working more diligently to more faithfully obey those commands? Now, in our message here today, we can't possibly cover all of those things here today. But that might make for a good sermon series one day. But for today, then, I want to just focus in on one particular aspect of that. I want to focus in on one of those one another commandments that is found in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Uh, We will soon be starting a new church year as we conduct our annual meeting later today and we vote on new board members. And I think it's a good day then for us to consider what it means then to be a member of the body of Christ. I want you to know that if you're a follower of Jesus, if you put your faith in him, you are a member of the body of Christ. You're a member of the church, of Christ's church. Now, it's true that there is something we call like a local church membership, being an official member of Wonder Lake Bible Church. Uh, Many of you are also official members of Wonder Lake Bible Church. But whether you're an official member of this local body or not, if your faith is in Jesus, you are a member of the body of Christ. And so this is for all members of the body of Christ then, whether you're a formal member of this local church or not. And so here is the idea that I want us to take away from our message here today, is that as we begin a new church year, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. How can we stir up one another to love and good works? Before we look at our text there in Hebrews chapter 10, a little context here, uh, the central theme, the main idea of the book of Hebrews is the superiority of Christ, how he is vastly superior to all who had come before him, that he is superior to the prophets. He's even superior to Moses. He is superior to the Old Testament rules, regulations, and laws. In fact, he is the fulfillment of all of that. He is superior then, too, to the Old Testament sacrificial system. This book was being written in order to encourage persecuted Christians, most likely Jewish background Christians, Jewish Christians. And some of these Jewish Christians were tempted to revert back to their old practices within Judaism in order to escape persecution. I wonder, have you ever wondered about that? If you had lived in that first century AD and this heavy persecution was taking place against the church then, How would you have responded to that? And of course, we know it was not just in those days, but in all the subsequent years since then, there has always been persecution against the church, against followers of Jesus. How would you handle that? Might you have been tempted if you were a Jewish Christian? You had had grown up Jewish, following the Jewish law, and now you had received Christ as the Messiah the Savior, your Savior, and now you were being persecuted, might you be tempted to revert back to your old ways, your old beliefs, in order to avoid persecution? 
Might you have been tempted to do that? And this is what that letter was written to do. And so this a major theme of Hebrews then is warning them against falling back, falling away from the faith, and returning to a Christless Judaism because Jesus is far superior. Christ is superior to any angel, to any priest, a human priest, to any old covenant institution. Jesus is greater than Moses. He is the superior high priest from heaven and the mediator of a better eternal covenant. The once for all time sacrifice of his blood on the cross, which has purchased eternal redemption for us. And in light of his superiority, in light of his priesthood, in light of his greater sacrifice, In light of all of this, therefore then, let us, let them, let us too here, let us draw near to God in the full assurance of faith, confidence. Let us confidently endure and persevere through the persecution, through whatever may come our way. Let us persevere through it all to the end, knowing that we will inherit an eternal kingdom an eternal kingdom that cannot be shaken by anyone or anything in this world. And that is the heart of the book of Hebrews, the message of the book of Hebrews there. And so with that in mind, let's look at what our author tells us then in Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, starting at verse 19. He says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another And all the more as you see the day drawing near. So here's some things that this author wants us to do in light of our superior priest, Jesus, and his superior sacrifice for us. In light of all of that, then, let us do three things here. Let us do three things. The first one is let us enter God's presence confidently. Let us enter God's presence confidently. Have you ever thought about that for just a moment? The immense and the enormous privilege that you and I have to boldly and confidently go into the very presence of God, into the Lord of the universe, the sovereign creator, the holy and righteous God who is the judge of all people and who will judge all all the world, 
And yet you and I are invited to boldly go right into his throne room. What do you think would happen if you decided that you were going to go visit the President of the United States and you were just going to go boldly walking into the Oval Office? How do you think that would work out for you? You think you would get there? I don't think you would get there, would you? And if you did manage to get past maybe the first line of defense there, it wouldn't go for you well after that, would it? Right? No, you and I are not invited to go boldly into the Oval Office You have to have a direct invitation. And even then, they're going to look you over very carefully before you go in there, right? Well, we have the privilege of going to someone infinitely greater than the president. Into a room far greater and more powerful than the Oval Office. And that is the very throne room of heaven where God dwells where God reigns. And you and I, not only are we allowed to go there, we're encouraged, we're commanded to go there, and to go there with what? A spirit of confidence and boldness. Do you deserve that? Do I deserve that? Do any of us deserve to do that? To go and then to go so confidently? I don't. We don't. But yet we can, and we're told to. Why? Because of Jesus. Because we're united with Christ in his perfect righteousness, in his perfect sacrifice for our sins, so that we are forgiven and made clean. Parents, are you eager for your children to come boldly to you to come and sleep? Maybe not like uh, in the middle of the night or something when you're trying to sleep, okay? But, but you delight in having your children come boldly to you, running up to see you, right? That's how God feels about you and me as his heavenly children because he sees us in Christ. So our confidence to go boldly into the presence of God is not based on anything you or I have done. Rather, it's based upon what Christ has done for us. It's based upon the saving work of Christ by the shedding of his blood on the cross. See, the blood of animal sacrifices in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament era, they could never completely atone for sin. Those sacrifices were just a temporary institution, a temporary remedy that was pointing forward to that once-for-all perfect sacrifice. You see, now Jesus has come. His sacrifice is perfect, and it's eternal. It's forever. He is a new and living way. His sacrifice has provided life. It's a life-giving sacrifice. See, the blood of animals didn't give life. It just temporarily covered sin until the perfect life-giving sacrifice, the new and the living way. He is the risen, living Savior. He's the living way because he's the living Savior. You know, in the early days of the church, the Christian faith... 
You know, when, when, when did Christianity come to be called Christianity? Well, it wasn't in the early days of the church. We call it that now. What did they call themselves in the early days? They didn't call it Christianity. What did they call it? The way. And who were believers? They called themselves followers of the way. Well, why did they call it the way? Why was the church called the way? Because Jesus is said what? I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by me. So the early church was called the way. The faith was the way. They would go and proclaim the way, who is a person. The way is not a set of doctrines, although doctrines are a part of the faith, right? Very important part. But ultimately, the way is a person. Not as just a set of doctrines, not a set of practices or rituals, but a living, the new and living way, a living person, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says then, this living way, Jesus, he is open for us through the curtain, the way to the, into the presence of God. Now, before the coming of Christ, the, in the Old Testament, Old Covenant era times, when God dwelt with his people his, that was symbolically represented among them by the temple. You would have the outer court and the inner court of the temple complex, and then you would go into the first part of the temple building itself, and that was called the, the holy place. But beyond that, further back, there was a room that was called the most holy place or the holy of holies. And that was separated by about a foot-thick curtain. And it was on that place, that most holy place, was where God was said to dwell. It was a representation of God's throne room on earth there with his people, dwelling with his people on earth in that most holy place. And because he is holy and people are sinful, not just anybody could go in that most holy place. In fact, there was only one person who was allowed to go in that most holy place. And who was that? The high priest. And the high priest couldn't go in any time. It was what? One day a year on the Day of Atonement. And that, and that priest better make sure he was prayed up before he went in there, right? But something happened to that thick curtain that separated the holy God from sinful human beings when Jesus died. What happened? That curtain was torn, right? We're told in Mark 15, and when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. So I think from about noon till 3 p.m. on that Friday of Jesus' crucifixion. And at the ninth hour, about 3 p.m., Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And we know from the Gospel of John, what did Jesus say? He said, it is finished. 
And then he offered up his spirit to God. He dismissed his spirit. And then Mark tells us, verse 38, And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Indicating what? The way is now open. It doesn't just have to be the high priest. And it isn't only one day a year. It's all of us, anytime, are invited to go boldly. Have you ever thought about what a privilege that is? Jesus is the great priest. You see, the high priest, the human high priest, only he could open up that way one time and only for himself. But Jesus is the superior high priest. Hebrews 4 Verses 14 to 16 says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect have been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What a privilege for us, isn't it? Let us draw near then. Let us draw near into God's presence. Hebrews 7 says, The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he, Jesus, he holds his priesthood permanently because he, continue, because he continues forever. And I love this verse. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus is always praying for you. A, a, a priest would pray for God's people. Well, Jesus, our great high priest, lives forever, has opened the way that we might draw near to God the Father through him, and he lives forever to make intercession to pray for you and me. So let us draw near to God's presence, draw near in salvation, saving faith, draw near in intimate relationship with God the Father through Christ. Let us draw near with a true heart that is a cleansed, and a believing heart that is submitted to God's will. Let us draw near in full assurance of faith. We can do this confident, not confident in ourselves, but confident in Christ and what he has done for us. Let us draw near with our hearts sprinkled clean. That is, we have been sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies have been washed with pure water You know, the the blood of animals only temporarily covered sin, but the blood of Jesus Christ has removed or taken our sin away from us, given us righteousness in its place, and it has even cleansed, cleansed us fully, even to the removal of a guilty conscience. We don't have to live in guilt anymore that's been cleansed and removed by the blood of Christ. His atonement cleanses the inner person. Our bodies have been washed with pure water in baptism. Now, the ritual of baptism doesn't save, does it? We are saved by faith alone in Christ alone. But baptism does, however, 
outwardly picture the inner spiritual reality of our cleansing by the blood of Christ. And we are invited then to consciously lay hold of all of the cleansing benefits of Christ's cross and to draw near to God in enjoying them, putting them away then, inward guilt and outward impurity. What a privilege. Do you need to go to the cross now and put away guilt and shame and receive cleansing through that once-for-all sacrifice of Jesus? See, we trust in him and we are delivered from sin and death. We are made a child of God, adopted, justified, declared righteous and holy. That happens once, but then we need to continuously go before him to keep on being cleansed of our sins, don't we? As we are being sanctified or growing in our faith. So let us then enter God's presence confidently Let us then, too, let us hold fast to our hope. Hold fast means what? To hold securely. Hold on to that hope, that hope that we have, and don't let go. Hold fast to our hope. What is our hope? Our hope is all the teachings about Christ, what Christ's redemption has accomplished for us, and all the promises of God for what he has done and he is going to do for us. Hold on to that hope. I love this imagery in Hebrews. We see it several times there in the book of Hebrews, where our hope, that is all that Christ has done for us and what all God is going to do for us in Christ, that's our hope. It's pictured as being like an anchor, an anchor for the soul. Do we have any boaters here? We live in Wonder Lake. We're a a boating community. We do have some boaters in this community, right? Okay, some of us right here in this church, I know. I've been out on your boats, all right? But if you're out there and you just stop, what's going to happen to your boat? If you just stop, you turn off the engine, what's going to happen? Just going to drift along. Yeah, hopefully it's going to float, right? Yeah, we don't definitely want it to float. Hopefully it floats, yeah. But what's gonna, it's just going to kind of drift. Wherever the wind blows it that's, or the currents take it, that's where it's going, right? But if you want to stay right there, not getting blown about by the winds or the currents, what do you do? You put down an anchor, and that holds you in that spot. And that's how the writer of Hebrews pictures our hope. It's like an anchor for our soul. It says, Hebrews 6, 19, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. You see, for a boat, a boat anchor, what does it do? It goes down to the the, the lake or the sea or the ocean floor, and it anchors there, right? Keeps the boat from drifting because it's anchored to the floor. Well, our hope is the anchor of our soul. Where is the anchor of our soul anchored? What is it anchored to? Is it anchored to the bottom of a, a lake? No, what is it? It's anchored to, to Christ himself and the throne room of God. So our soul's anchor is moored or held to God himself and God's character and God's power 
That's the anchor of our soul. Our hope is our sure and certain promises of God that he will accomplish all that he has promised to do for us. There's a lot of things, but I promised you this, I think probably a couple of years ago now, that you were going to keep hearing this again and again, and God willing, you're going to continue to hear this until I'm no longer preaching here. What is our hope? Well, it's a lot of things, but it's what? It's eternal life. It's perfect righteousness. It's the resurrected body. It's heavenly reward. And it's a new earth. There's even more, but that's, that's pretty good right there, those things, right? That's our hope. And no matter how strongly the rains beat down upon our lives. <laughs> Fortunately, we have, we have, you need an umbrella when you leave here today. For those of you who are watching from home, it's probably raining where you are right now. But if it isn't, it's raining really hard right now. That's what I'm referring to. You probably can't hear that on there. See, the, the winds may come, the rains may beat down upon us, but we're not going anywhere because we are anchored in God himself, his hope. So we can be confident because God is faithful. He has the power to do it, and his character is trustworthy. Wouldn't matter if God had all the power to do that, but he wasn't very trustworthy in character, would it? Or what if he was very trustworthy in character, but he didn't have the power to do it? you got to have both, right? And God has both. So Hebrews 10, verse 35 says, Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. He's telling these persecuted believers, don't throw away your confidence, but hold on and receive the reward because God is faithful. So let us enter God's presence confidently. Let us hold fast to our hope. And then finally here, something for us to consider then here today, let us then, then let us stir up one another to love and good works. Let us stir up one another to love and good works. Let us consider... What does it mean when you consider what? You, you're contemplating something. You're thinking deeply on it. You're ruminating on it. You're giving serious thought. You're being creative, perhaps, in your thinking on how we can stir up one another to love and good works. So let us consider, give careful thought to that, how to stir up. That word is sometimes translated spur, spur one another on or provoke how we can provoke one another. Anybody here ever been provoked? What does it mean when you're provoked? It's like somebody does something or says something that what? That just brings something out of you, right? And usually when you hear the word provoke, we think of in, in a negative sense, right? Somebody provokes you. You're being, it's what? It's like they're just, they're just, this anger's coming out of you because they're provoking you. Well, here's the one time in Scripture where we are encouraged to provoke one another. Provoke one another. But don't provoke one another to anger. What? Provoke one another to love and good deeds. Through the things that we do, we're just causing people to just to love. 
and to do good. Well, how can we do that? Well, this is why we need to consider it, right? Think hard about it. Give serious thought to how we can provoke one another to love and good deeds. As I was thinking about it this week, here, here's your homework assignment. I want you to go home this week. I want you to, to give careful thought to this. Consider this this week. How can I provoke someone to love and good deeds? Here were just some, some thoughts I had in thinking about this. How about this? Here's a way maybe. How about do a study of all those one another commandments in Scripture? And as you're doing that, you know, just look it up. Fortunately, you used to have like all kinds of, you need all kinds of books and that. Well, now we have this wonderful thing called the interwebs, right? Well, it's mostly wonderful. Sometimes it's not so wonderful, is it? Actually, I think the jury is still out there on some aspects of the internet, right? But it sure has tremendous power for good, though, doesn't it? So just go on there and just look up the one another commandments in Scripture. Just do a study of those. Look at those and say, Lord, would you speak to me this week? And maybe, there's, maybe you can identify one or two of those. And then think of someone specific in your life with how you can do that for that person. So do a study of those one other commandments. Think about a specific individual. Focus in on one or two of those commandments. Or here's the other thing. I know it's a popular thing. Actually, I'm kind of surprised that this thing, it, it, it started in the church by a Christian author, Gary Chapman, but it's actually become powerful and influential in, in all kinds of other contexts. You've heard the word, you've heard the book, The Five Love Languages, right? It's amazing where that thing is popping up, that concept in all kinds of non-church category, in, in non-church places, but it is. Why? Because there's something very basic and human about it, isn't it? But if you're not familiar with that, he suggests that there are, there are different ways that we can express love to people that, that for some people, how they receive love may be different than another person. What makes them feel like they're loved can differ from person to person. So it's like speaking different languages. And so he says, what are some of these love languages? Some people really feel loved by words of affirmation. That is just speaking to them, encouraging them with what you say to them, words of affirmation. Quality time. I know some of your love languages. I don't know them all, but I know some of you. And I'm looking at quality time right now. Means what? Just spending time together. Just being together. This one. Physical touch. Be really careful with that one, right? Be really careful with that one in the church. Acts of service. Doing something, a practical so something that, that, that just helps them out. You know, when I think of my friends, I, I, I can think of, yep, I've got a words of affirmation person. Oh, I've got a quality time person. Oh, I've got an acts of service person. Gifts. I don't know any gifts people. Maybe I do and I don't know it. But some people like gifts, right? That they feel loved when they receive a gift of some kind. So learn others' love languages. How do you do that? Ask. 
right? Spend time with him. Ask about sending an old-fashioned card or letter. Remember when we used to get these things called cards or letters in the, in the mailbox? Oh, something like that. Or for those not so inclined, how about a timely text or a phone call? Notice I said timely text or phone call. Texts are much more popular now than phone calls. Who wants another phone call these days, right? But maybe a text, okay. But be careful, we don't want too many texts though, do we? That's why I said timely. A timely text. Brief, right? How about this one? Maybe I never... What about this? I was thinking, you know, here's a good way to stir someone up to love, or, love and, and, and good works. Mentor someone. Disciple someone. What is discipleship? Jesus told us to make disciples. How do we make disciples? Well, a number of things go into it, but it's relationship. It's personal relationship with people. Spending time with one another talking with them, praying with them, encouraging them, transmitting life to them, the life of Christ, mirroring it, be an example. Be a discipler or a mentor to someone. Is there a younger person in the faith that maybe you can come along and encourage them and stir them up? Or the other side of that, maybe you hadn't thought of it this way, did you know by Being a mentee, I don't know if that's a word, is it? Mentee? Or a disciplee? All right? A manatee. I know there's a manatee. I've seen it. Anybody's seen manatees in Florida? I love it. You know, it's like, I have a friend. uh, He loves to go to Florida all the time. He still hasn't seen a manatee. I'm like, are you kidding? Every time I go there, they're everywhere, right? I've seen them, but he still hasn't seen them. But anyway, I'm not talking about manatees, though. I'm talking about a, a. Mentee. I don't know if that's a word. I'm going to have to look that up and figure it out. It is a word, a mentee. Okay, I kind of thought it was, but I wasn't sure. All right, so. Or a disciple if you will. Did you know that being mentored or being discipled is very encouraging to the mentor or the discipler? It is. I've got some folks that I meet with on a regular basis. You know what? I think I'm more encouraged in my faith than they are by our meetings. Actually, that sounded wrong, didn't it? But uh, let me just, let me put it this way. I feel I get just as much out of it as they do. That's a better way of putting it, isn't it? Right. I get just as much out of it as they do. That's encouraging sharing the things of God with people, isn't it? So that's a way you can encourage someone else is by being discipled or mentored. How about leading a small group? You know, this is something I I, I hope to see. I know no one church can do all things, and we can't do all things and be all things for all people. But in thinking about our church and, and, and things coming up here, one thing I would like to see happen in our church is have, we already have some, but I would like to see kind of an expansion of small group ministry opportunities in our church. You know, this is a great way to stir up people to love and good works. How about leading a small group ministry? Or if you say, nah, I'm not comfortable with that, but you know what I can do? I can offer up my home to be a place where we could meet, right? So those are just a few things that came to mind for me. You think about that. Consider how you can stir up someone, provoke someone to love and good deeds. 
We're told then, too, to persevere. Persevere in the faith is not a solo job. It's a community project whereby we are encouraged to help one another to persevere in the faith. Now, we can't persevere together if we're not meeting with one another. So let us not neglect to meet together is the habit of some. I know COVID threw a wrench in the works at us here, right? It necessarily brought some changes for a while for, for all of us, and maybe still for some of us to a degree. But it's time. There's, there's, there's really no substitute for being together in person, is, is there? So let us then encourage one another, and all the more as we see the day. What is the day? The return of Christ, right? The end of the age, as we see that getting ever closer. So what? What do you want me to do with this? Well, I want to remind us where we started. Say, As we begin a new church year, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Rejoice in your access. <laughs> Think about what a privilege that is that you can go to the throne room of heaven anytime. And not only that you're allowed to, but you are told to come boldly and eagerly. And God is delighted for you to come. Rejoice in your access. Rejoice in your hope. Your hope is that sure and certain anchor for your soul. Are the promises of God anchoring you today? Finally then, contemplate. Give serious thought to how you can encourage someone else how you can provoke them, stir them up to love and good works. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for our time in your word here today. We are so encouraged by the wonderful truths that await us there every time we open that word, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that we can come boldly into your presence, not because of anything we've done, but because of what Christ has done for us. Thank you that his once-for-all-time sacrifice has forgiven us of our sins, has cleansed us and made us righteous so that we can come boldly into your presence. Thank you for our hope, eternal life, perfect righteousness, a resurrected body, heavenly reward, a new earth. May that hope anchor our souls. And then, Lord, would you help us this week? Help us this week to think about one thing that we can do to encourage someone else, to provoke them to love and good deeds. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more information about Wonder Lake Bible Church, visit wlbiblechurch.org.